Tonight we start uh, with a question, and um, the question is, what sort of family were you born into? What sort of family were you born into? What was your childhood like? How has it led you to the place that you're in now? And how is that going to impact your future? It's good to acknowledge right up front that everybody here will have had a range of childhood experiences and uh, some of us are still having them as well. Some might have been born into really stable family units. Others uh, might have had uh, a slightly more varied experience, the consequences of which still hurt. But in, and increasingly for many, our experience of family is less straightforward. For some, there may be, still be skeletons in the closet uh, to come. Families can be and often are messy and complicated. And if you can relate to any of my introduction, then you're in good company. For it was only a few months ago that you may remember Justin Welby uh, had some DNA tests which confirmed that uh, his father was not uh, actually um, the whiskey salesman, Gavin Welby, but it was Sir Winston Churchill's private secretary, Sir Anthony Montague Brown. This must have been very strange to find out, but it is not stop Justin Welby being used by God. Families can be complex, far from perfect, yet in all the messiness, God still is at work figuring his purposes out. And this is what we're going to find as we delve into the story of Joseph this autumn term. First, though, we need to travel back um, about 3,800 years and head over to Palestine in the near Middle East. But this isn't perhaps as tricky as it sounds, especially for those of us who were here this time last year, last autumn, because we looked at the series of Abraham and sons, Ishmael and Isaac, Esau and Jacob. We're immersing ourselves in that same world. To help uh, take us there, though, what I want to do in a moment is for you to close your eyes. Because we're going to transition from our summer series in the Psalms to the story of Joseph by using some words from Psalm 105. So now is a good time to be closing our eyes. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. When they were few uh, in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. He called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. And he sent before them Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons till what he foretold came to pass. 
till the word of the Lord proved him true. Let's open up our eyes again. And we'll note from Psalm 105 that ever present in the background to the story of Joseph are the three foundational promises God gave to his great-grandfather, Abraham. His offspring would be a great nation. They would have their own special land. And through Abraham and his family and descendants, the whole world would be blessed. So if you've closed your Bibles, can you open them back up to page 41, Genesis chapter 37, beginning at verse 1. Jacob, or Israel, as you may remember, he was renamed after a night-long tussle with the Lord. Do you remember that? He sort of was tussling with the Lord, and then in the morning, uh, the Lord kind of popped him in the hip joint, and Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his life and was renamed Israel. Well, he lived in the land where his father Isaac had stayed. That land was called Canaan, which is Monday, Palestine, Syria, and Israel. And this, in verse 2, the Bible says, is the account of Jacob's family line. And this is the Bible's way of saying that now we're going to focus in on the next person after Jacob through whom God is going to work his saving purposes out. And it's this next generation who Joseph is going to play a major role in. And we're going to look at the story tonight under three headings drawn from verses 1 to 11. So Joseph, the beloved son of the father, Joseph hated by his brothers, and Joseph, the prophet of God. Beginning with Joseph, the beloved son of his father. Joseph was born into a complicated family. He was the 11th of 12 sons born to Jacob, who had two wives, Leah and Rachel, and two concubines, Billa and Zilpah. Still with me so far? And Joseph's mother was called Rachel, who was his father's favourite wife, who later died in childbirth. It would have been a difficult upbringing for Joseph, having ten older brothers, none of whom shared his natural uh, birth mother, many of whom had an extremely unwholesome past that we certainly would not want to emulate. And on top of this, Jacob, Joseph's father, didn't really help foster positive relationships between him and his other brothers. Verse 3 makes it clear that Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. There was a clear case of favouritism going on. It's likely that Jacob's sons had already picked up on this fact before Jacob made this ornamented robe for Joseph. Perhaps during family mealtimes, Joseph was the first in line to get second helpings. Perhaps Joseph was excused the more menial and boring hard chores. Perhaps Joseph was given just a little bit more extra pocket money. I can imagine a kind of latent bitterness welling up inside Joseph's older brothers. But as yet, it had not really had a chance to be properly expressed. But when Jacob presents Joseph with the ornamented robe, richly decorated, what his brothers previously saw as quietly implied now became physically explicit. The robe was a sign of Joseph's superiority in the mind of his father. When Jacob gave Joseph the ornamented robe, he reversed the social, financial, and relational fabric within his family. 
Many of us will know that a social convention meant that the firstborn son in the family held the highest status. Financially, it was supposed to be the oldest son who would inherit the most. And relationally, it was the eldest son who was supposed to go on and lead the family. So when Jacob gave the ornamented robe to Joseph, it was a clear sign that he was conferring on Joseph privileges his older brother, Reuben, was due. It's no wonder that Joseph was hated by his brothers. Their father so favoured him, he was willing to undermine traditions of society. Jacob's expression of favouritism meant that Joseph was now the first in line to inherit a mess. And it might be that some of us here can relate to this. It could be that as you grow up, maybe you are growing up. And issues of favouritism are present in your family. The story of Joseph might be ancient history, but the consequences of sin, or at very least unhelpful decisions being passed down generational lines, still make their impact on human hearts today. Perhaps there's existing tensions between yourself and a brother or sister, or maybe more of your family. They might have their roots further back than you think. Could it be that actually understanding this, that acknowledging it, might be a first step towards family healing? It's also hard to escape the fact that this uh, passage speaks quite uh, a direct message to those of us who are parents. Parenting children is really hard work. Some of you know this. Some of you hopefully one day will find out. It's inevitable that mistakes are made along the way. I know I do. And when you've got more than one child to uh, contend with, (laughs) often the forms of discipline and the way each child likes to give and receive love can vary depending on their emerging personalities. And, you know, it's kind of hard to figure this out. Getting a sense of equality right as a parent is an ongoing and impossible task. To know how to love each of your children equally in accordance with the way that God's created them is a really difficult thing to do. And I imagine this continues on no matter how old our children get. But the chances are, if you're a parent here and you feel this tension and struggle, then you're already doing an excellent job. And it might be time at the end of this service for a bit of a family hug. (laughs) But when we know we've gone wrong, we can come together in prayer. We can say, Lord, I know I've got it wrong. I'm sorry. I need your help going forward. But you know, the good news is that we don't have to worry when we do get the balance slightly wrong because God is in the business of parenthood too. 
God loves our children just as much as we do. More. And he is willing to use situations to see his good purposes out. Well, now we need to return to the present situation under the second heading, Joseph hated by his brothers. We've already seen how offensive Joseph's ornamented robe was to his brothers, how they were jealous of him for receiving his father's blessing, which traditional custom dictated he didn't deserve. On top of this, Joseph was a snitch. When Joseph was 17 and he and his brothers were tending his father's flocks, he saw something he didn't like in his brother's behaviour and so reported it back to his father. It's hard to know the rights and wrongs of this, but it was never going to be a popular move. I remember when I was age 17, I had a summer warehouse job boxing TVs and other electrical goods for delivery. And there was one lad who was a little older than me. And uh, as he was boxing the TVs, he would get all the remote controls and he would take the batteries out and he would put them in his pocket. Well, I kind of, I knew this was wrong, (laughs) as you'd expect. And I I could see a, a certain injustice in it. But I didn't grass him up because I was scared that he and his other warehouse mates might beat me up. Was this wise? Probably. But if you've ever ordered a TV that's come with its uh, remote control with the batteries removed, then a thousand apologies. Maybe I should have been more idealistic. Perhaps being too idealistic was Joseph's mistake. In our youth, we can tend to have a, a keen sense of injustice, of right and wrong. Situations can seem very black or very white. It can be hard to know how to communicate problems in a fallen and broken world. But I don't want to let Joseph off the hook too easily. It could be that he enjoyed telling his father about the misdemeanors his brothers had been up to. It might have boosted his status even more in his father's eyes. And this brings us nicely onto Joseph's dreams, because they hardly did any damage to his self-esteem. Dreams in Genesis are normally associated with a divine revelation from God. And these dreams, in particular, that Joseph had, were dreams of grandeur. Taking the first one, where Joseph sees himself and his brothers binding sheaves of corn, and then Joseph's sheaf rose upright while his brother's sheaves gathered round it and bowed down to it. Well, this week I had a bit of a a lesson in corn harvesting from two of our staff members, actually. Can you guess who it might be? It was uh, Brian um, and it was Janet. And apparently, so I learned, once corn has been cut at its base, it's gathered together in bundles or sheaths, as this passage calls them. And then in order to dry it out, one of the bundles or sheaths is stood up to form a central pillar. And then the other sheaves, about five of them, are all sort of leant against them, the middle sheaf, and gathered round. And over time, the outside sheaths, well, they begin to bow in the middle. They begin to bend down. Meanwhile, the one that is supported in the middle 
is strengthened and strong and remains upright. And so you, like me, hopefully, have learned something new this evening. But this practice would have been very familiar to Joseph's brothers. And when Joseph took it upon himself to tell them his dream, it was never likely to make him more popular. His brothers knew exactly how to interpret the dream. Joseph was claiming he would reign over them. And this much is clear from verse 8. Now they had even more reason to hate their young upstart of a brother. But it doesn't stop there. Joseph has another dream. And this time the sun, the moon and the 11 stars are bowing down to him. So I'm thinking, hmm, surely Joseph is not going to share this dream with his brothers. Oh no, <laughs> he does. What is he thinking? Is he mad? It seems Joseph is kind of, kind of ultimate verbal processor. Maybe you know the type. He's just got to get his thoughts off his chest, no matter the offence they're going to cause. And this extreme lack of tact even stretches to telling his father too. Again, this dream is easily interpreted. And while his father rebukes him for being so self-aggrandizing, he still keeps the matter in mind. But at the same time, it's easy to see now how Joseph's brother's hatred of him must have reached fever pitch. It's almost as if the writer of Genesis records this part of Joseph's life to make us feel sympathy for the plight of Joseph's brothers. It's as if we're supposed to get emotionally caught up in the family drama and take sides. But we don't want to go too far down this track. We must be careful because as the story of Joseph progresses, we're taught to be realistic about the state of every human heart. You see, we like to paint our biblical ancestors with either the good or the bad paintbrush. When the heroes and villains are obvious, it makes, us, uh, much easier to, it makes it much easier to relate to them and the lessons that we should learn much easier to understand. But the truth is the Bible's more complex than that. It speaks to the reality of everyday human life. Most of the biblical characters we know so well live messy lives in the middle. Their behaviour fluctuates just like yours and mine. One minute they're high flyers demonstrating God's character and the next minute they falter and fall and you're left asking why. The trick is to look beyond the immediate context and see how God moulds his people over time. In the case of Joseph, we see a lifelong growth towards godly maturity. And the same should be true of Christians today. Followers of Jesus still face temptation to sin and we do still get it wrong sometimes. But I hope that if you track your journey with God, it's evident that God's Spirit is at work transforming you by his grace. If you follow Jesus here tonight, what has the trajectory of your life been like since you first made a commitment to him? It's good to be honest with ourselves. Hopefully over time you've been freed from many of the sins that once held you captive. 
there's an ongoing battle and struggle. But if there's no progress in any area, tonight's a good opportunity to ask why. For those taking a look at the Christian faith, I hope it's a relief to know that with the exception of Jesus, every other biblical hero was flawed. We do not come to God in our perfection. We come to God acknowledging our faults and in need of help. That's the whole point. And to understand what shape and form this help takes, we now need to move to the third and final heading, Joseph, the prophet of God. Let's take a close look at Joseph's two dreams again. Joseph might have made himself unpopular when he shared his dreams with his family, but there's no denying that God had revealed to Joseph his word. Concerning the dream about the corn, Joseph's brothers would later come to him in the midst of a famine, begging for that same grain. The dream about the sun, the moon and the eleven stars takes us right back to God's promise to his great-grandfather Abraham. That his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. God's purposes to multiply his covenant people wouldn't have been realised had Joseph not been later sold as a slave, then raised to a position of power by Pharaoh in Egypt to reign over all the land. You see, what Joseph's brothers don't yet realise is the very thing they hate about him will later become their source of salvation. Stepping back to see the overall trajectory of Joseph's life, we see a beloved son of the father, despised by his brothers, thrown down a pit, then presumed dead, until he's finally raised up to reign over all the nations with power and authority. Remind you of anyone? There's no doubt in my mind that when we look at the story of Joseph, God has placed in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, a pointer to Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is the beloved son of his father, who was despised and rejected by those closest to him, who was nailed to the cross of Calvary to die for all our sins, and who was raised up when he was presumed dead to reign over all. When Joseph shared his dreams with his brothers, as controversial as they were, he was speaking the word of God. And as we track through the story of Joseph in the coming weeks, Not only will we see Joseph speaking the word of God as it's revealed to him, we'll also see Joseph follow the same pattern that Jesus Christ lived in his own life. So how can Joseph's story help you and me? Well, the first thing to say is that we do not need to go and stress over what God might be saying to us in any of our dreams. The Bible says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, that means now, he has spoken to us by his son, who he appointed heir of all things. 
If you want to definitely know that God is speaking to you today, we just open up the Bible and listen to what God says about his son Jesus. In the Bible, we hear God's voice for definite, no questions asked. Well, secondly, Joseph's life foreshadows the life of Jesus. Jesus, who is God's word made flesh, who reveals God's plan to save the world. Now, many today hate the idea of bowing down to Jesus because they want to be their own pillar and have others lean against them. As followers of Jesus, we're called to share the good news of his life, death and resurrection. It's inevitable that in some spheres of our life, this is going to make us lonely, isolated, and sometimes even hated. We might be unpopular with some of our friends and family. This can mean we're simply living our life as we should. But that's why, thirdly, we must do more than simply speak about Jesus. We must live lives that conform to the pattern of God's grace, that mould us and change us over a period of time, so that then those who know us and love us the most will see that Jesus genuinely does have the power to transform us in and through all the mess. Maybe as our family, friends and other acquaintances see us trying to lead lives of love and integrity over the long term, then they too will be attracted to join the complicated and messy family of God. So I want to conclude where we began. When the reporter Charles Moore, who broke the story of Justin Welby's real father, was asked about how Justin Welby responded. Thomas More replied that Justin's reaction was constant with the character he knew. A character whose identity is caught up in that of his heavenly father, who he meets every day when he gets down on his knees and he prays the Lord's Prayer. This is the same heavenly father who meets you and me in all our complexity and mess. And he calls us, he welcomes us into his eternal family in order that we might be blessed to then go out as his family to bless the watching world around.